0: Good morning, church. Good morning. We're going to continue our series in the book of Daniel. Uh, in chapter 10, as we just read, and if you are like me, maybe hearing this text for the first time, you thought, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> but luckily, uh, as you know, I prayed and meditated and talked to others, uh, the Lord really has a message for us today. And the, the message actually kind of crystallized when I was talking to one of my brothers and fellow members of Mongo Day, Bobby High, and we were trying, to, and we were just talking about something else, but um, eventually in our conversation, there was a phrase that we kept uttering that actually made the contemporary significance of this passage kind of crystallize. And that phrase is, "It's okay not to be okay." So this is fast becoming one of the mantras of our society, but I do think the church is lagging a bit behind. And in some ways, you know, we just walk up to someone and say, how are you doing? Well, I'm fine. I'm okay. Even as the tempests in life still roll, sometimes we just gloss over them with, uh, I'm fine or doing okay. Some blessed day, we will not have to gather with masks, and, uh, but some of us will still masquerade around the church with a different kind of mask, pretending to be okay, pretending like all is well, pretending as if any display of weakness is to be an inferior Christian. We want to project the idea that we have it all together, hiding our anxieties and our fears and our struggles. When you're struggling, church, do you feel that this is a place where you find folks where you can confide? Or even better yet, are you somebody who presents themselves as someone who could be confided in? What are the conversations like in your growth group? Are they they a place where people can struggle? I'm not saying you got to put your business on the street for everybody. But what I'm saying is that do you have a person in your group or in this church that you can talk with about struggles with depression, your anxieties, putting your sexuality under Christ's lordship, mental illness, the struggles in your marriage, and so on and so forth, because there's a lot not to be okay about in this world. Amen? If we don't have healthy outlets to cope, then we'll begin to turn to anything to dull our senses just for a moment of relief from that struggle. But we know that relief and victory is not found in a bottle. We know that victory is not found in ordering takeout yet again and again. We know that victory is not found in retail therapy, but victory, true victory, the ability to stand or contend in the midst of your struggle is found where? Where? Somebody knew, but you still mumbling. And Jesus, thank you. My goodness, y'all look like we're not Christians up in here. <laughs> so as we turn to the text, we find Daniel at some 90 years old, and he's not okay. And so Daniel was uh, continually burdened by the visions that God gave him uh, in, the, in the chapters that we've already studied, 7, 8, and 9. And this is two years from the conclusion of the vision in chapter 9, and now we find him in chapter 10. And so, throughout scripture, there are people who are types, examples for us to follow, anti types, examples for us not to follow. But I think Daniel, as we've seen over and over and again, is an example for us to follow when we're downcast, when we're struggling, when we're not okay. Daniel 10 is a preface to the fourth and final vision. that that Daniel receives, and in chapters 7, 8, and 9, what we see is that there's a vision, an interpretation, all bound up very neatly with a bow in in a chapter. But what we find is that this last and fourth vision is given over the course of three chapters. Chapter 10 is a preface, and then chapters 11 and 12 are the actual vision where the fun and crazy stuff happens. So thank you to Pastor Shane in advance next week, who's going to take us through 11 and 12. I'm glad I'll be sitting where you are. But the purpose of this sort of introductory sort of preface, which is chapter 10, is bound up in verse 14. The the messenger says, I came to make you understand what is to happen to you, uh, to your people in the latter days. For the vision is four days yet to come. So the messenger encouraged Daniel to look forward to a time when God will destroy all godlessness All wickedness, all those who oppose God's rule and oppress his people. Our God is sovereign and controls the details of human history, which is a theme that we see over and over again in this this, uh, book. And so here we see, like, in these final days, God's going to deliver them and even raise them from the dead. And so these verses in chapter 10 not only give us a window into what's going to go on in Israel's future and, and for help for Daniel as he, receives, uh, as, he, as he looks to receive this vision, but it also gives us some tips about how to cope with this Genesis 3 world in which we live. So let's go ahead and jump into the, to the first verses of this text. We find Daniel in mourning in verses 1 through 4. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who's, who, who was named Belteshazzar, And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. And then in verse 4 is a helpful detail for us. On the 24th day of the first month, as i was standing on the bank of the great river that is the tigris and so here we find daniel in the midst of the passover celebration and we know this because of the detail in verse 4 it was the 24th day of the of the first month and so this passover was particularly exciting because it was one of the first or second ones that they had when they were not under babylonian rule and so we see Daniel having this, this first Passover or second Passover. He, he should be excited. You know, uh, they had been waiting for this freedom for 70 years. And then uh, if all this is cause for celebration, but we find Daniel not okay in a deep state of mourning that we see in verse 2. And so Israel was is now free. And in verse 4, it, it gives us a clue About Daniel's whereabouts. It says, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Euphrates. Daniel's not in Jerusalem, which is where God's people are from. He is still in where? Babylon. He's still in exile. And so Daniel was distressed because his kinsmen had finally gotten home. They were waiting to be uh, sent back or able to go back home for all this time. And so, number one, he's not even there with them. Number two, he actually finds out that as they were going to build the temple, they were receiving opposition from the Samaritans. And then number three, I guess three, four, and five, these three visions that he already had in chapter 7, 8, and 9. So he's just heavy-hearted for his people. And then we see that his lament His uh, demeanor amidst the Passover underscored his anxiety. So Daniel is not okay. But as I said before, Daniel is an example to us. Because in his struggle, where does he look for help? He looks to our God. So let's look at verses 5 through 9. With the appearance of a messenger, it says, I I lifted up my eyes and looked. And behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold uh, from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, and his face was uh, face like is like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw the great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So there's a couple questions that uh, come to mind when you read these verses. The first one for me is, who is this man wearing a linen suit? You know, if you come from where I come from, on the truest OGs wear linen suits. So, But back to the, the text and the importance of this messenger for this. This messenger was sent from God. Biblical scholars talk about and debate back and forth about who is this person, this, this messenger. Some say it was an angel. Others say it was a specific angel, Gabriel. Still others say it was Christ incarnate, uh, you know, a pre-incarnate Christ. Others say it was God himself. But my understanding is that it was not Christ or not God because we we see that's unlikely because in verse 13 we see that there was uh, some opposition from a demon that held this messenger for 21 days. And so I don't think it's uh, God or Christ. However, I'm okay with you coming up with your own conclusion about who this is because it's not his identity that's the important part. It's the message that he had for Daniel. So at the end of verse 9, Daniel had his face to the ground, and let's see how God begins to comfort him in uh, verses 10 through 12. And behold, a great hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you, and when... He had spoken uh, this word to me, I stood up trembling. So, after Daniel had fallen to his face uh, in verse 9, a hand touched him, announced that this is a messenger for Daniel, and then two things happened. And the first thing is simple is that when we seek God in humility and brokenness, we find him. When we seek God in humility and brokenness, we find him. When I was growing up, I was always distressed. I was like, how do I find God? How do I experience God? It was as if God was playing some game with me. God is not playing games with us. We know how to find him. With humility, with brokenness, you will find him. And also the second one is that when Daniel experienced God's provision, he was overwhelmed. So too often in our culture, we make light of experiencing God. I've heard people say, you know, when, when I when I get a chance to talk to God, I want to give him a piece of my mind for all the stuff that I've gone through on this earth. There will be nothing of the sort. There will be nothing of the sort. When you see God, when you experience His angelic messengers, your response will be deep awe and worship because His glory will be utterly unquestionable. Divine encounter is elevated in pop culture in books like Heaven's For Real and uh, 90 Minutes in Heaven and things like that, they make light of this experience, which does not follow the biblical pattern. Because if you look at the, the book of Daniel, even in these verses, when the good guys show up, Daniel was trembling. As we look, forward, we look ahead to Advent, which I see the Christmas trees outside in the foyer a little bit early because Thanksgiving has not passed. So uh, <laughs> Thanksgiving and I are uh, offended. And so uh, but as we look forward to Advent, which is not yet, um, see, I'm all. See, I'm all, I, I had to get that out, Tony. I had to get that out. I mean, what are we doing? So, um, but as we look forward to Advent, you know, we we remember uh, uh, Mary when she experienced God or the the, the messenger. She was horrified, and several times the messenger reassured her, it's all good, it's okay, it's okay. And then after reassuring her over and over again in Luke chapter 1 verse 30, he literally had to say, don't be afraid. And she was still freaking out. The magnitude of this experience is part of what God used to pull Daniel out of his funk. Daniel knows that as real as his situation is, as real as his fears are, as his, real as his concern are, there is someone who is just as real. There is someone who is more glorious and he can do far more than we can ask or imagine. We must be engulfed with the reality of someone, and for Christians, it is definitely someone, Christ, who is greater than any of our trials. So him being knocked back, I can't breathe, I can't move, that's our response. When we find ourselves in a place where we're like, God, I just can't go anymore, we need to beg God to experience him, the fullness of him, because it's in that it'll put your trials into perspective. And so it's also important to notice that this is not a quick fix. We see Daniel, he was seeking God for 21 days, and as you seek God, we have to not grow weary in well-doing. Beg God in your weakness that the Spirit will sustain you as you're trying to continue to seek God's face so you can understand his majesty and his glory and be in his presence. So let's look at verse 12 to hear more about what this messenger said. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand And humbled yourself before God. You see that? To understand. And then also humbled yourself before God. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So when you seek God earnestly, again, you'll find Him. So Daniel was not praying to this angel, but he was praying to God who sent him this angel. And basically, what I'm trying to tell you is that your prayers matter. Have you ever thought that your prayers didn't do anything? Have you ever thought that you were praying and your words hit the ceiling and fell back to the ground? But let me tell you this. He said, your words have been heard and have come and I have come because of your words. Prayer matters. We have to pray for spiritual vitality and strengthening because we know that our battle is not against flesh and blood. And this is made very clear to us in verses 13 and 14 that we'll read. The presence, of, or the, the prince of, of the, the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with a, the Persian, uh, with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. So verse 13 gives Daniel a clue about what was, has been going on for the past 21 days. And in, and in order to understand these particular verses, it's, it's important for us to understand that these princes are not like Hakim uh, Jafar from Zamunda, like a, like a prince, but they're demons. They are, you know, and even these demons, they are uh, assigned to specific jurisdictions, uh, and they do the bidding of the adversary at times. And so this tip helps us understand that there are even times when Satan tries to manipulate governments and the powers of this world to work against the people of God. So all this gives us, uh, makes me recall the reminder that Paul gave us uh, in Ephesians. He said, "...for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the, in the, in the heavenly places." Do you fight people as if they are your ultimate enemy? When somebody slanders you, how do you fight back? You know, when when you're attacked at work or treated poorly by someone, how do you do battle? For Christians, we have to put on the full armor of God. And I think it's important for us to just sort of camp out here just for a second because Western Christians, those who are in America, also in Europe, are prone to live more like naturalists than we admit and by naturalist, only see the, responding to the world as if there's only the things that we can see, smell, touch, taste, and whatever other five senses there are. I'm sure a fifth grader can tell me the other ones. So, uh, but we respond to the world in an unbiblical way. Our science-driven society has caused us to adopt this unbiblical understanding of the world that leaves believers open to spiritual attack. Because it lets our defenses down against the way that the adversary is attacking us. So we must begin taking the spiritual realm very seriously because that ruins the, uh, the uh, element of surprise for the adversary. You guys see how that works? When we know how he's going to attack, it allows us to anticipate it and then also have our defenses up, having put on the full armor of God. So because we don't really take the, the, what's going on with the powers and principalities seriously, we, do, we don't guard against them, and so we get destruct all the time because we're not ready for what the adversary is going to throw at us. I'm ruining his strategy, y'all. Well, not really me, but the Scripture helps us ruin the strategy. So I was once at a Christmas party with a bunch of theology nerds, and uh, there's one person asked another, why don't we see as much sort of overt spiritual warfare uh, like we see overseas? You know, people sort of, all, all, all the things, you know. And so I'll never forget the answer. The person said, in America, one of Satan's greatest tactics is not making people anti-God, but making them deny that the spiritual realm actually exists. Getting them to admit that only the material actually is. But as Christians, we have to know that the spiritual battle is going on for the hearts and minds of men and women. And the battle is massive. And we begin, when we begin to admit its size and scope, we have to be, it becomes clear to us that we cannot fight this battle on our own. So when you're not okay, understand, you can't fight this battle on your own. But the good thing is, we know the one who's undefeated against the adversary. We know the one who can rise above all of this. And in fact, he has risen above all of this. And so let's observe Daniel's response. In verses 15 and 17, it says, When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. See that response? I was mute. Didn't have nothing to say back. Verse 16, And behold, one of, or one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me. And no breath is left in me. So Daniel finally was able to respond to the vision, and he was pretty much speechless. And so after he was touched by uh, this messenger, kind of reminiscent of Isaiah, you guys remember that in Isaiah chapter 6, he gathered his strength enough to say how he felt. And so I think it's wonderful here to observe that, that while Daniel heard the message from God, he didn't jump up immediately. I think he's like us. So, you know, sometimes, like, even when we begin to receive the encouragement from God, we just don't jump up and start running around. He just lifted up his head, barely gathering any strength. But that's him actually receiving it. So, so if you're in a place where you just feel like, I can't even get up today, I can't even start what God has for me today. Understand that you, if you get up out of the bed and do what my brother uh, Bruce Gall tells me to do every day, he says, put on your armor, Walter and get up and you walk. If you can just take a step, you are beginning to just walk in that victory, okay? So this is what we're saying. He didn't just jump up and he was just fine. The struggle continues, but he knows that he is being strengthened. So Daniel remained without strength and breath, but God wasn't done encouraging him by this angelic being. So he receives reassurance in verses 18 to 21, and it says again one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, "O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage." And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, "Let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me." Then I then he said, "Do you know why I have come to you?" This rhetorical question uh, but, but now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will, let you, uh, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. So verse 19, uh, and Daniel admits that he was strengthened by this messenger who was sent from God. And so we begin, we begin this reassurance that he gets by, with the, the, the phrase, Oh man, greatly loved. And so this is important for Daniel to hear. But it's also important for us to hear is that you are loved. And for those who are in Christ, you're loved not because of what you have done, but you are loved because Christ's blood covers you and you're seen as perfect. So you're not loved based upon your merit. You're loved based upon the merit of Jesus Christ. And so notice, in the, this is the second time that he encouraged him by saying, oh man, greatly loved, both in 11 and 19. And this might give us a clue that we're prone to forget this wonderful truth. Oh believer, Christian, you are greatly loved. And you're going to forget that sometime. At some point, you're going to need to remind yourself or remind somebody next to you, say, you are greatly loved. If you go back through and read this text, let that little clause in verse 11 and verse 19 jump out at you because you are, as well, greatly loved. And then he says, fear not. In uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it, it reminds us that perfect love casts out fear. And so when you're greatly loved, as we just talked about, God, by God in Christ, we know that our greatest fear, which is death, has been defeated. And so we can say with the Apostle Paul that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Our ultimate fear is gone. But despite having this ultimate fear of death gone, the messenger knows that the trenches of life is no cakewalk. So he says, yes, your ultimate fear is gone, but at the same time, be strong and of good courage, he says. This is especially important for Daniel because he knows what's on the horizon for God's people even now. And so, and as we know, this is great, being of good courage, as we look at Daniel's life, we know that being of good courage is not being unflinching. Take Daniel, for example. He was unable to stand. He was struck by what was revealed to him. He was crushed by the weight of it all. But he was strong in the Lord and courageous because he allowed God to lift his head. So being strong and courageous doesn't mean that we're just, you know, impenetrable. It means that we're able to trust God and his provision for us as we seek him, as we move forward amid our struggles. So we, need to, we too need the strength uh, from another to carry on. And sometimes it's being encouraged by somebody who might be sitting around you. And sometimes it might be encouraged by the very presence of God as you seek him and you find him. You're not alone in this. And whatever this is for you, you're not, you're not alone in that. So after all of this, Daniel is now ready, finally ready to experience the vision that, this, that he's going to receive in verse, or chapters 11 and 12. So it's my prayer today that you are reassured that it's okay not to be okay. We don't have to be okay all the time. Because Christian, you're, you are greatly loved though. And in Psalm chapter 3, verse 3 says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory, the lifter of my head. To struggle is not a sign of weakness. To struggle is simply what it means to be human. But to, but to match those struggles demonstrates for Christians that you do not know who you are. You are a child of God. You have been declared victorious. And now we're trying to walk actively in that victory. And so when you're not okay, it's all right. Because as this text shows us, there are multitudes of armies and principalities who are trying to make your life miserable. But God, right? But take heart as well. We know the one who's overcome the world. So if you're a Christian... Today, I invite you to walk in that victory that Christ has given us. We see exactly how the victory has been won, his death and his resurrection. And then that begins to spill over by his grace to us. We can now walk in that, and if we seek God in humility, we will find him. And experience the just washing over of God's goodness and His grace and the grace of His presence. And even being crushed by that, God then builds us up appropriately to then walk day by day. This is good news. The Spirit will carry us. And if you're not a believer today, I I invite you to participate in this victory. Victory over the sin that so easily entangles you. Victory over the grudges that are crushing and strangling your heart. Victory over self-hatred that makes you question your value. All of these things that make you so downcast come into the victory of Christ because this victory is found in Jesus' death and resurrection. And when you receive this on your behalf, it changes everything. And so if this is you today... if you're you're wanting to access the riches of Christ's presence and you walk in humility to find him, come, do that today. Talk to somebody who's around you. Talk to your spouse, your friend, your neighbor, your roommate, and say, look, this is what I want to commit to do today. In the midst of my struggle, I just don't want to despair. I want to despair like a Christian. But for those of you who are saying, I'm crushed but I don't have any hope. There's nowhere to turn. What do I do? How do I move forward? There's no hope in all of this. I want to introduce you to hope today. Jesus Christ will have you. He loves you. And there's a way for you to be one of his children. If you're interested in taking another step towards Jesus Christ, I'd be glad to talk with you after the service or one of the other people in the band or one of the other elders around here. And we just want to give you this hope because it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay just to stay there. Please pray with me. Father, we are grateful that you have given us hope in Christ, that you are enough for us, that you are good and you are our sustainer. You are the one who is our healer, our comforter. And God, we can have anxieties and struggles and we can have, be overwhelmed at times, but God, you are the one who gives us victory. God, you raise our heads so that we can get up and tremble but walk. God, we thank you for all that you have done and all that you're doing around us and in us and even by your grace through us. So as we take the supper now, God, show us yourself once again. May we experience you in a way that transforms our struggles and puts them into perspective. While they are real, there's a reality that's even more real. So we pray that we would see you today. You pray all this in your name. Amen.